I'm going to ask you to turn to the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, if you're turning to Matthew 28, you're turning to the wrong passage of Scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is our passage this morning. I had the opportunity uh, a number of years ago to, to serve uh, with a church in Leeds, England for a couple weeks. It was during the summer of 2012, and among all the wonderful English traditions we partook in as a group, with a, we, we took in that wonderful English tradition of going to a rugby match. Um, I had never been to a rugby match before, and it was wonderful. It was the long-term rivals of the Leeds Rhinos against the Wakefield Wildcats. From that moment, I have, oh, I've followed rugby ever since. It's been, it was fascinating. The atmosphere there was so electric. It was so invigorating, and it made me want to be a rugby enthusiast. We were pressed shoulder to shoulder and stood in a ruckus crowd for three hours. Now, I say we stood because literally in this stadium, packed with probably about 40,000 people, there were no seats. And we were shoulder to shoulder, and there was people hopped up on adrenaline and probably a few pints as well. Um, Not our group. Um, But we were all enthusiastically supporting the hometown heroes. Yet there was something very unique about this rugby match. Normally in a crowd that large, that is that excited. There is cheering, there's yelling, there's shouting. But for three hours, nonstop, this crowd sang. They sang like a choir for three solid hours. Seamlessly from song to song, they stirred passion, they captivated emotion, and they serenaded their team all the way to victory. It was magnificent. It was inspiring. It was exciting. Those songs, I still can recall them, and there are times, if you listen through the walls of my office, you might actually hear me humming along or finding them online and singing along to them. Singing is a wonderful thing. There's a story, I don't know if it's true or not, but of a brave little girl who, took a, who, who was taken to a doctor because she had a, a painful operation that she was expected to have. When all was ready, the, the kind doctor, he was very sympathetic to this young girl, he said, this is going to hurt you. So you can cry, you can scream as much as you please. And this little girl... And her wonderful, beautiful smile looked up at him and said, No, thank you. I would rather sing. Which she did. Through the entire procedure with her childish voice, went through the entire ordeal singing without a sigh, a groan, or a tear. Singing is something that is wildly prevalent in our culture. We sing at birthday parties. Sometimes it's not so pleasant to hear it. But we sing at birthday parties. We sing when we fall in love. We sing when we fall out of love. There are people who have made careers off of those kinds of songs. We sing while we're out for a run, or we sing while we're doing chores. We sing when we're bored. 
But there is something very unique each week as we gather as this body here at Grace Bible Church to sing. When this local body of believers that love each other, that have relationships with each other, that know what's going on in each other's life and live life on life with each other, what we do here when we sing is a gift from God. And it is unique. Some of my most favorite memories in my entire life have, exp- have, have been experienced right here in this room with this congregation when it comes to singing. One of my favorite experiences, one of my favorite memories was last year at our Steadfast Conference. Our Steadfast Conference is known for incredibly wonderful, godly preaching, but it's also known for wonderful, glorious singing. But last year, as we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, we, we had large bands up here. We had honky-tonk bands up here. We had all the different kinds of music displayed. But our last session closed with no band, with just the voices of our congregation joining together in Martin Luther's great anthem of the Reformation, Ein fester Burg ist, ist unser Gott. Now, none of you sang those words, but you sang a mighty fortress is our God. That really is one of my favorite memories of singing in all my life. Speaking of Martin Luther, he said, Music is a fair and lovely gift of God, which has often wakened and moved me to the joy of preaching. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. My heart bubbles up and overflows in response to music, which has so often refreshed me and delivered me from dire plagues. So why do we sing? Why do we sing as a church? This is something we do every week. We spend a lot of time singing, and it's important to understand the reason why we sing. We don't just do it to hype us up as a pep rally. I calculated that between our morning and our evening worship service alone, this isn't counting conferences, this isn't counting small groups that meet together and sing, this isn't counting special services like Christmas and e- Christmas Eve and, and Good Friday um, or, or Iron Man or anything. This is just Sunday morning and Sunday evening alone. We sing as a congregation, 43 hours and 15 minutes of our year together. That's almost two full days of solid singing. That's a significant investment of our time. And we need to know why we do it. In Psalm 96, we're going to see that the psalmist describes three reasons why we sing. Now, we're going to look at the entire psalm, but we're going to focus primarily on the first three verses. But I'm going to read Psalm 96 this morning. I'm actually reading out of the, the NASB this morning. Normally, we're out of the ESV, but I got this wonderful preacher's Bible at Shepherd's Conference last year, and I've never had an opportunity to use it. And it's NASB, and I just really, really wanted to use it. Plus, I actually prefer how it translates these verses. So I'm going to read Psalm 96 out of the NASB this morning. Psalm 96 says, 
Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. And splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you humbly this morning with a song in our heart to our great God, would you help us to have attentive ears to what you would have to teach us, myself included, through your word. May your spirit guide and direct our time together through the teaching and preaching of your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In Psalm 96, David describes for us three reasons why we sing. We're going to primarily focus, as I said, on the first three verses, but the three points I really want to drive home this morning is that we sing to worship God first and foremost. We sing to worship God and we sing to edify the church. And thirdly, we sing to evangelize the world. And as we go through these points, I want you to see the beauty, not just of our song, but of the theme of our song. That is the theme of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We sing to worship God. Let me give you a little bit of background to, to Psalm 96. The, the author and the occasion that it was originally written is actually unknown to us, but it does have a, a striking similarity to uh, a song that was composed by David that we find in 1 Chronicles 16. That song was used to celebrate the Ark of the Covenant coming back to its rightful place in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. 
And, and the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, which is generally a lot of what would have been used as the scriptures during Jesus' time, associates Psalm 96 with the dedication of the rebuilt temple after, after the Jews returned from their captivity in Babylon. So this has always been about the return of, of something great. There's been a great conquest and there's great rejoicing and celebration that this psalm has been uh, wrapped around. It's entirely conceivable that the original song was written by David and was used with some changes at all these different significant events. But what we do know for certain is that God's people are at their best when their worship is robust, when it's enthusiastic, and when their witness is clear and when it is contagious. When we look at verse 1, the first thing we have to note is that we're called to do something. The first word says what? Sing. Sing. It's, read, it's said three times in the span of two verses. In Hebrew... The word sing, here's a Hebrew lesson for you. The word sing in Hebrew means sing. <laughs> it's that simple. It means sing. But it is called, here's a grammar lesson, it's called an imperative. An imperative is a command. Um, so this singing is a great command. Great thinkers and great theologians have, have talked eloquently, have waxed eloquently about what it means to sing, but I have yet to find someone who actually explains it better than that wonderful philosopher, Buddy the Elf. Buddy, in that wonderful cinematic masterpiece, Elf, says this, singing, it's just like talking, except louder and longer, and you move your voice up and down. <laughs> but our singing is, well, singing is that simple. But our singing is more than that because it is an act of worship. I just want to make a quick clarification and I want to define some terms. What is music and singing and the word worship? I spoke on this in depth a couple weeks ago in our adult Sunday school class, so you can listen to those online this afternoon. I'd encourage you actually to do that. All our adult Sunday school classes, if you're in BTI and you miss them, they are available on our website. Listen to those. But I spoke on, on worship a couple weeks ago in our adult Sunday school class. But let me just remind you, when we sing together, it is worship to God. But that doesn't mean that singing only is worship. It would be wrong for you to ask, how was the worship and only mean singing? Our worship service, everything we do when we gather together, is worship. Can I get another amen? <laughs> Thank you. From the beginning, opening call to worship. That is worship. That is why you need to be in here when the service starts. Because you, by walking in, can sometimes interrupt worship of somebody else. Our opening call to worship is worship our praying, our reading the scriptures, even our time of announcements is an act of worship. How do announcements become an act of worship? 
They remind us that we live in a community, that we live in the body of Christ, that it is extended beyond just this time, that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. Our announcements are part of our worship. Our giving of our offerings, the preaching of the word, the benediction, even um, the when we do baptisms and participate in the, in the Lord's Supper, even the fellowship we have after the service, until you leave this building, you are part of the corporate gathered worship of the church. Until we scatter. Singing, yes, is a part of our worship, but don't denigrate it, worship to being just singing. It's not all of it. But our singing is an integral act of our worship. So who is our singing directed to? It says in Psalm 96, sing to the Lord. Sing to, you have, your Bible probably has Lord in, in all caps. That means it's actually the Hebrew word Yahweh. The great I am. Sing to Yahweh. When you sing, you're not singing to no one. You're not singing to the ceiling. You're not singing to the walls. You're not singing to me even. Well, you are, but we'll get to that later. You're singing to God. You're singing to the great I am. What a gift that is that you can sing to the Lord. Augustine the early church father says, singing is praying twice. What he means by that is that the lyrics themselves are a prayer. They, they give voice to a prayer. But then in the singing of those actual words, there is a whole nother level of expression that cannot be captured with just words. There is an atmosphere, there is an aura that is different than prayer. Singing is a form of prayer, but it is different than just prayer. The hymn writer Matt Boswell says, There are prayers that can't be spoken. They must be sung. I love that. We sing to the Lord. But it also tells us what we are to sing in Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord, what? A new song. Does that mean every Sunday we need to come here and sing all songs we don't know? Because <laughs> it's got to be new every time. No, no, thankfully not. That would be frustrating to you, to me, to our band that normally has to play. We don't want to learn new songs each and every week. We want to learn new songs. We want to have a repertoire that's always growing because the expanse of, of our experience with the Lord is always growing and improving and there's not enough room. But this doesn't mean that we can't use the same songs or words that we've sung before, but rather... What this means to sing a new song is that these songs and words should spring from hearts that are continually struck over and over with the freshness from hearts that are exploding over that wonderful, wonderful revelation of the greatness of God and the salvation that he has provided. Have you ever sung a song 
that you have sung hundreds of times before and there's a line that stands out to you all of a sudden this time that you went, how come I've never seen it like that before? And it hits you. I'll tell you, and our music team can vouch for it. This happens to me every week. It happens to me every week and I have basically memorized the hymnal. And yet it is still fresh and new when I sing perfect submission Perfect submission to who? Perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Week in and week out, we might sing the same songs, but singing springs from hearts that are fresh with the wonder and the glory of it all. We sing new songs of praise. Why? Because our hearts, they can't get over it. They can't get over what he has done for us. They overflow with the good news of what Christ has done, what God the Father has done, and what the Spirit is doing. Our hearts are compelled. We can't get over it. The new song is the song which breaks through the restraints of our, per, of our present circumstances and voices expectation and confidence in the future work of our God. And then this song this psalm, after it says, sing a new song, says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Who's singing this? Everyone is supposed to get in on this. There's no exceptions. If you think you're the exception, you're wrong. There is no exceptions because even creation is called to sing. We see this idea expanded later on in the psalm when, when David writes in verses 11 and 12, if you look at that, it says, Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. The call goes out to all the earth. Meaning here that all the people of the earth are also supposed to be in on this. But who is Psalm 96? Who are the original readers of Psalm 96? Is every person on the earth reading Psalm 96? No. This is the people of Israel. This is a small group of people who are supposed to be singing, but the call goes out to all the earth. Israel is the people of God. Are they all the earth? No, but the intended audience for this call would be believers. But others are being summoned to acknowledge his greatness and his majesty. Israel, when they are singing this, you and I, as we are singing, we are summoning the call for all the earth to proclaim the glories of God. Now, I know not everybody loves to sing as much as I do. Believe me, I see some of you. (laughs) But one respected church musician wrote this. And it kind of puts those of you who don't like to sing in your place. So this is for you. I don't want to look people in the eye, but I want to look you in the eye. (laughs) If we do not sing, we disobey God and miss out on the rich blessing derived from this activity. Do not hold back because you lack musical training or because your husband says you're tone deaf or because it seems like a manly thing to do. If Moses 
David, and even Jesus Christ saying, it is a manly thing to do. A God-fearing thing to do. It is a Christian thing to do. Living according to earthly fear, irrespective of its source, is not living biblically. Biblically, Pastors should set the example for their congregations by participating in singing, and our pastor does, and I call him a man. And by doing so with vigor and joy, God desires your praise through song too, not by speech alone. Layperson, next Sunday, or this Sunday, be sure to join in song with the host of heaven and your heaven and your earthly brethren as best as you can. If anyone criticizes you for singing as part of the congregation and gathered worship, you can be sure that scripture does not support their, their comment. Singing is an act of worship. But singing It's also a command. You sing because you're commanded to. It doesn't matter if your voice is perfect. It doesn't say this command is only for those who are trained. It just says sing. You're commanded to sing with all your vocal imperfections. And you know what? Singing is one of those things that somehow we're fine if we don't continue to grow in it. It's one of those spiritual things that we're commanded to do and some of us say, eh, I don't need to do that. That's for other people in the church. Learn to sing if you can't sing. Nothing else in your life are you content to just let go by the wayside. No other command from God do you say, eh, I don't need to do that. At least you shouldn't. Just in these two verses, there are three commands to sing. There are over 50 direct commands in all of the Psalms to sing to God. Singing is mentioned over 400 times in the scriptures. The longest book in the Bible is what? A hymn book. It's the Psalms. It's meant to be sung. Jesus sang. He sang with his friends after they shared probably the most, not probably, after they shared the most important meal of their lives before the most important event in all of history was to happen. Jesus sang in his last time with his disciples. Jesus also, when he was on the cross, what did he do? He quoted a song, Psalm 22. This is an important part of our worship because it was important to Jesus. And then in our singing, we're to bless the Lord. We often sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Comes from Psalm 103. We're singing that we want to bless his holy name. Well, who are we to do anything, to to 
bless anything to God. But that's what's happening when we sing. When we worship God, we're blessing him. God, the Father himself, is a singer. Have you ever thought about that? Zephaniah 3.17 says that God sings over his people with songs of love. The singing God has summoned you to join him. Wow. Wow. Of all the things our God can command us to do, he commands us to do what? To sing. He wants to hear you sing. But why is it that God commands us to sing? Can I say this? Can I, can I be so brazen to say, I think the reason he commands us to sing is because he likes to hear his children sing. Who of you parents don't love to hear your children sing? When we have our children's choir up here, all the cameras come out. Do our children, well, our children are pretty perfect, I know, when they sing. No, they're not. But we take great delight when our children sing. God the Father takes great delight. He is blessed when you, his children, sing. He wants to hear us sing. What a beautiful thought! What a beautiful thought. He wants to hear his children worshiping him through song. One of the most encouraging things I've seen in the last four years here at Grace Bible is the way that we have developed as a congregation. You do this well. You, we have grown in our singing. It wasn't always this good. But we have grown. And one of the reasons... I say we've grown as if you were with us last Sunday night. We, if you're not with us Sunday nights, you need to be here, especially tonight because Joe has a dynamite uh, sermon from, from the scriptures this evening to, to bring us to uh, humility before the Lord. So be here tomorrow or tonight. But last Sunday evening, we closed the service. Again, a cappella as we do on Sunday evenings. But I let in a song that most people in this congregation had never heard before. It was a new song. So we sang a new song. We followed that command. But it was a song most people never even heard in our congregation. There was some, I'll just call our our senior saints, may have been familiar with it. But what I heard unaccompanied was an entire congregation singing in four-part harmony a beautiful song called God Leads Us All Along. We love to sing here. I love to hear singing. I love to hear you singing. And if I love to hear you singing, I can tell you, your Heavenly Father loves to hear it even more. By God's grace, we have become a worshiping and singing church. So keep it up. Get better every day. Sing louder. Sing stronger each and every week. Don't don't take your foot off the pedal. Keep going. Let me encourage you that way. So we sing to worship the Lord, to to worship God, but we also sing 
to edify the church. My second point is that we sing to edify the church. Singing is an act of discipling others. Verse 2 says, proclaim good tidings of his salvation. The first four imperatives or commands in this psalm command the, uh, the worshiper to proclaim praise to God, to Yahweh, to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, it says. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. The next two command the proclamation of his praise to others. With the word proclaim, or the ESV translates it tell, but I really actually, the the NASB translates it better because the word means proclaim good tidings. And tell just doesn't say that. It's like Christmas time. Proclaim good tidings of great joy. Here, we're supposed to proclaim good tidings of his salvation. The direction of flow has gone from our praise to Yahweh to, to proclamation to man. Take the news. And what are we supposed to proclaim? Proclaim what? Proclaim good tidings of his salvation. That is the gospel. See, the gospel was in the Old Testament as well. That a holy God would come to wretched sinners to save them. That he would live a perfect life, die on the cross to save us from our sins, and that he would rise again on the third day to give eternal life to those who would follow after him. And this is good news. This is the gospel that needs to be told, but it also needs to be sung. It has to be sung. I'd be remiss to not point out that it's not exclusively an Old Testament command to sing. The New Testament commands it at least twice in Paul's letters. He writes to, to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae the same thing, that they are to sing, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with what? Psalms. And hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We teach and admonish with what? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians, or in, in Ephesians, he writes in Ephesians 5, speaking to the church about gathered worship. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in... Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. There is that wonderful command to teach each other through song. The psalmist is calling the singer to remember what is true through their singing. Now, singing does two things. It it expresses our affections and it directs our affections. Singing expresses our affections by the fact that it edifies us by expressing something that is tied to truth that just simply can't be spoken of. Uh, What's in your heart you sing about? This is what's made Taylor Swift a huge success. Unfortunately, it's misguided and misdirected. But what is in your heart you sing about? It's one thing for a statement to be made, but it's another thing to sing it. The English preacher 
Leslie Weatherhead tells this story. He says, I once attended in the Royal Albert Hall of London a magnificent rendering of Handel's Messiah by a choir of several hundred. And I'm just realizing every time I preach, Handel's Messiah comes up somewhere in my sermon. I love it. It's great. It just shows that you all need to listen to it at some point. I once attended, maybe we should get our choir to learn it one year. <laughs> that might be a few years down the road. We, anyways, I once attended in the Royal Albert Hall, London, a magnificent rendering of Handel's Messiah by a choir of several hundred. The friend who accompanied me was a dear saint of God, then in his 70s. When the hallelujah chorus rose to its stupendous heights, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, my friend could hardly contain himself. The tears were streaming from his clear blue eyes, and he whispered to me, That was my Savior they were singing about. I shall never forget the meaning he put into the word, my. There is something, I could say King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but when that chorus erupts with King of Kings, it is different. Singing expresses our affections in ways that mere words can't. Jonathan Edwards said this, The duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affection. In other words, Edwards is saying, Singing exists entirely to express love to God and to express and to excite our love to God. That is the whole reason God even gave us singing the ability to sing is to excite our love to God and to express our love to God. Edwards continues on. He says, no other reason can be assigned. And why should we express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music, but only that such is our nature and frame that these things have a tendency to move our affections. Singing expresses our affections, but singing can also direct your affection. Just like you are what you eat, you are what you sing. Our hearts move towards the things we sing. Plato said, Let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. One pastor turned it around and said, let me write the hymns of the church and I care not who writes its doctrine. If we gather to worship expecting to be taught the word with sound doctrine and theology, then we should expect the same in the songs that we sing because history has shown us that what we sing shapes how we view the world, how we view God, and how we sing and what we sing steers our affections. A.W. Tozer, in his great book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says in the opening line, which is one of the most famous opening lines in all of religious literature, but he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What songs are you singing? Not just here on a Sunday morning. What songs are in your car? that you're singing along to? What are your children hearing? What are your co-workers hearing? 
what are your songs teaching? Because they will steer your heart and they will steer your children's hearts and they can steer your coworkers' hearts. What are you singing? It's the same when we gather as the people of God. The reason we sing of the glory of God, the reason we sing of the sufficiency of Christ and of the living word, and how, and it's the reason we sing of how all our lives are to be lived in a response to those things is because that is what will shape us as a church in our doctrine. Our hymnal is shaping our doctrinal statement and how we think. Gordon Fee says, Show me the hymnal of a church and I will show you what it believes. We sing songs that you can sing through every season of your life because they are songs here at Grace Bible Church that we hope, that we pray, express eternal truth. We sing, His robes for mine, O wonderful exchange. We sing, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We sing, On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. We sing songs at Grace Bible Church that I pray you can live and die by. That's why we're not singing the latest song that comes out of Nashville that's popular on the radio. We don't sing just because it's popular. We want to sing what is true and enduring. We are collectively as a church every Sunday morning singing our doctrinal statement. And therefore, our singing is making disciples of those around us. Sing to your family. Sing with your church. One of the most important things you can do on a Sunday morning is sing. You have the ability to participate in singing. So do it. And we're not just singers of songs. We're proclaimers of good tidings, it says in the scriptures. We edify, we teach, and we admonish one another with these songs. When you know what's going on in my life, And when I know what's going on in your life and I know that your heart is breaking, that you're going through a deep trial and I see you still singing how deep the Father's love for us, you're edifying me. You're encouraging me. When you see the man next to you knowing he's recently been laid off and you see him singing, Christ, the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm. That man is proclaiming to you that come what may, my my trust is rock solid in my Savior, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the testimony of this body of Christ. That's what happens when you sing. Let your soul be revived by those around you in their singing. You might not feel like singing this week, but the person sitting next to you might feel less like singing. So sing for them. Sing for your neighbor. Build them up. 
in your singing. In the latter part of the psalm, in verses 7 and nine, seven through 9, David demonstrates this point in his own life. He expresses and directs his affections for the good of his people. He tells them, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. David is expressing and discipling his own people with his song. So we sing to worship God. We sing to edify the church, but we also sing to evangelize the world. I said at the beginning of this, turn to the Great Commission. Psalm 96 is a Great Commission. The primary reason we sing is to worship God. But there are side benefits to the church, and there is even a declaration to the lost world. What is the content of our praise? We need to understand this. It's clarified in verse 3. It says, Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. We're to declare his glory just as the heavens do in Psalm 19. We're to declare his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. How? Through our united song. Through our voices being raised together in song. Glory is that attribute that, significant, that signifies one's importance. It's an attribute that, that demonstrates the actions of someone and therefore can be seen and appreciated by others. The fact that, that the psalmist uses the word glory here, it refers to the fact that God's unparalleled importance is revealed through all his works. No one can match his works. Even his name, Yahweh, I am, implies that his reputation is based on the mighty works that he's done on behalf of his people. His deeds bring him glory. The word glory here in Hebrew is the word kavod, and it literally means heavy. His deeds bring him heaviness. There is a weightiness to our God and indicates that God is a God of substance and of great reputation. He is glorious. He is heavy and weighty. The glory of Yahweh is displayed in his work of creation, in his kingship, but also in his salvation that we proclaim from day to day, but also in his judgment. Because we're saved from what? From judgment. Yahweh is simply the most important person in existence ever. You are not. He is. And the songs and praises of people should acknowledge this. The parallel terms wonders focuses on the amazing things that Yahweh has done that demonstrates his glory. His works are incomparable. They're surpassing. They're extraordinary. They are truly wonders. To speak of the glory of God, therefore, is to speak of his wonders and to tell of his wonders, to declare his glorious nature. We have this hymnal in our church, these songs. It is a treasure to us. It tells what we believe. It describes those things we hold dear. It puts into print some of our greatest doctrine. And who is hearing this declaration? 
Do you know in this room right now there are people who are not Christians? They have not been brought from death to life by the power of Christ. Right now, they are here. Think about what you have sung to them already. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. You have called them as a creature of our God and King to worship him. Let all things their creator bless. That's what you've called them to do and there's only one way to do it. Worship him with what? Humbleness. We also opened up our, song, our service. Give praise to, give to our God immortal praise. Mercy and truth are all his ways. For he sent his son with power to save from guilt and darkness and the grave. You have proclaimed that to an unbeliever. You've sung of the hope that you yourself look forward to and have invited them when you've sung, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What about perfect submission? All is at rest. The unbeliever is not at rest. But if perfect submission to Christ, with your perfect submission to Christ, you and your Savior can be happy and blessed just as I am. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. You have sung that to an unbeliever this morning. You've enticed them to come and taste and see what you have. The wonders of the psalmist that the psalmist is referring to are those that are inspiring and breathtaking. Israel's history was filled with these things and when he talks about the tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the people, the people of Israel are thinking of Moses and the burning bush the plagues upon Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, the conquest of Jericho. These are just a few of those wonderful things that the wonders of which the people of Israel could could and should speak and sing about. And a glorious God can do amazing wonders. Wonderful as those wonders are, they do not begin to compare to the greatest wonder of all. The wonder of all which that all the people of God in every era can speak. This is the wonder which the psalmist has already mentioned, the wonder of salvation. It's a wonder of his grace. It consists nothing less than of a holy God making a way for his enemies to be restored to peace with himself. It's a wonder of his faithfulness, the provision of salvation being fulfilled in fulfilled in all the promises of God that he has made throughout the Old Testament. It is a wonder of his wisdom. How could a holy God both carry out the sentence of his wrath against sinners and let those same sinners then go free? God's wisdom found the way, and that way was Jesus who received on the cross the penalty of God's wrath. Because he received it, and because God only demands that the penalty for sinners be paid once, 
There is no penalty left for those believing sinners to pay. God's salvation is the triumph of his grace, his faithfulness, his justice, and his wisdom. That is why we sing. There's an urgency to this, to our song. The psalmist even demonstrates this urgency. Look at verse 10. He says, say say this among the nations. The Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be removed. He will judge the peoples with equity. Tell the nations the judgment of God is coming. And then he says in verse verse 13, not just his his judgment, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. There's an urgency to our song. Don't wait to sing. I once heard John MacArthur say, of all the major world religions, only Christians sing. I pondered that for a while. Thought about it. I went, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's true. Now, there are cults and branches off of Christianity that aren't true Christianity that sing. But of the major world religions, Buddhists chant, Hindus recite mantras, Muslims wail and moan and say the Shahada, Orthodox Jews recite prayers and chants, but only Christians sing why because we have something to sing about and we have a God who loves to hear you sing that is why we sing in 1899 when the noted agnostic Robert Ingersoll died The newspaper printed the funeral notice and said there will be no singing in his funeral notice. You'll not find hymns or anthems or oratorios or carols or spiritual songs among agnostics or skeptics. Without God, without Christ, without redemption, without divine revelation, without hope, what have those people to sing about? Nothing. But we sing as an act of worship to God. He commands it because he loves it. It blesses him. What a joy. We sing to worship our God. We sing to edify the church. We sing to edify each other. So sing week in. Sing week out. Sing louder than you did before for your brother, for your sister who needs to hear you sing. And sing as a declaration to the world. Sing to evangelize the world. Sing to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. How many places do you know 
on this earth where you can gather together such a diverse group of people to sing about one thing. The unity that we share as singer, uh, 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 in our singing is deeper than any sports team can unite a, p- a group of people. The unity in our singing is stronger than any concert event can provide. The unity of our singing is Christ crucified. That is for the old, for the young, for the man, for the woman, for the rich, for the poor, for every color, every race. We are all joined together by the blood of Christ and given the same song of salvation. Nowhere else on this planet do you get to do what we do on Sunday morning. And we sing. We sing as a declaration to the world that this unity cannot and will not be broken through all eternity. Because it is a unity that is centered on Christ. So we sing as a declaration to the world. You get the point? We are to sing with everything in our being. Sing because he commands it, but sing because you get to as well. What a joy and what a privilege. Let's pray. Our gracious, loving, singing Heavenly Father, the one who sings his song of love over us, as Zephaniah tells us. You have given us voices. We use them for so many wrong things each and every day. Forgive us. Forgive, forgive us for using them selfishly. Forgiving, forgive us for using them to declare things that are not of you. Forgive us for not expressing the inward affections of our hearts through the way you have commanded us to do so. Forgive us for not worshiping you as we ought to. Forgive us for not caring about our brother and sister who needs to hear us singing and thinking that our singing is only for our own edification and our own selves. Forgive us for forgetting that a lost world needs to hear our song and our unity in our song. And thank you for loving us, for giving us a song to sing. Thank you that you have promised to give us voices to sing, and if we fail in that, even the rocks and the trees will cry out. Lord, may we not give them that opportunity. But may we sing as a declaration of our love to you and as a declaration of what we believe to the world. May we do that this morning and may we do that through the rest of this day for it is your day, the Lord's day. And may we do it with the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, the one of whom we sing. Amen.